First of all, I do want to affirm the whole intent of what you're doing here, brother, because um, ministry does have its uh, casualties, and sometimes um, that becomes a very personal story for all of us. And uh, within one week's time, I uh, lost um, such muscle capacity that I couldn't drive a car would soon be hospitalized 77 days in the hospital, most of them in the top research hospital in Oregon. Here's a good outcome from this. And, and I feel like it really is a simplistic approach. It's, it's minimalizing the breadth and complexity of the work of God in our lives. The evangelical church, the Bible preaching church has been pushed to the margins. We're no longer mainstream in our culture. And I would argue that's okay. That's, mm -hmm. that's where we've spent most of uh, church history. Hey, everybody. want to welcome you to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's why we do what we do on these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, where we bring support and encouragement to hurting pastors, people in ministry. I think we would all agree that suffering produces the best leaders. I'm amazed when I talk to people who uh, consistently tell me and share with others that they are who they are because of how God has shaped them during the hard trials in their life, things that you could never learn in school you learn during the fires of sorrow i remember talking to my son brett one time who was a cancer survivor uh years later as an adult looking back at this experience as a 12 13 year old saying dad i am who i am because of this and in other places i've shared about my own trials when my wife was suffering from brain cancer my two sons suffering from cancer one of them passing away uh, some 18 years ago that it scares me when I think about who I would be today had God not taken me through those trials. Maybe that's a bit overdramatic, uh, but it is certainly a way that I look back over my life and I see the value of suffering. I remember a friend of mine one time referring to it as an unwelcome privilege. Well, I have the privilege today to interview a man who's been shaped by the hard stuff of, fly, of life and I don't think he would be the leader he is today had God not asked him to go through what he went through. I have the privilege today to interview Dr. John Stumbo, who serves as the president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, a worldwide denomination of which I am a part of. And in this powerful interview, you will hear John share about his burden for the lost, uh, his passionate commitment to the gospel, and how his trust in Jesus deepened even more after enduring and surviving an 18-month battle with a mysterious illness that nearly took his life. And you'll find that John speaks candidly about his struggles with suffering and understanding why God took him down this journey. Here's a little bit about John. He met his wife, Joanna, while they were in college, and they've been blessed with 35 years of marriage, three adult children, three young grandchildren, and John culminated his educational preparation for ministry by earning a D-min in leadership and emerging culture. Most of his ministry over the, fa the past 35 years has been shepherding small and large alliance congregations from eastern PA to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he's an avid outdoorsman. He's often spotted with hiking boots, running shoes, a tennis racket, I don't think all at the same time, or a fishing pole. 
And in 2008, a lifetime of health was interrupted, and we'll be talking a little bit about this with John, but it was interrupted by a mysterious illness that robbed John of his muscle strength and the ability to swallow. Uh, Joanna became, during this time, his caregiver during uh, this two-year period of recovery, and John's ability to swallow was miraculously healed during this time, after which he was able to resume ministry. And man, has he resumed it. He, in June 2013, at the Alliance Christian Missionary Alliance Council in Tampa, Florida, he was elected as the 12th president of the United uh, of the U.S., not the United States, but the Christian Missionary Alliance of the United States, and was reelected to a second four-year term in 2017. He and Joanna live in Colorado Springs. They travel frequently to serve the Alliance family. And John produces a monthly video blog, which is available on the Christian Missionary Alliance website. I'll make that available. He's also written a number of books that I'll also be making available on this website. In fact, we'll be talking about a couple of those books in this interview. Okay, long introduction, but that helps you to um, get to know John a little bit better. I'm excited uh, to take you now to this interview that I had with uh, Dr. John Stumbo. Let's go to it now. I have the uh, unbelievable privilege this morning to be talking to John Stumbo, who's the president of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. John, welcome to the Before You Quit podcast. This is a privilege for me to be talking to you today. Thanks, Mitch. Great to be with you. Well, I appreciate it. Um, Just real quick context here on how this came about. Uh, It really amazed me. You were down here at Tacoa, Georgia, where I live uh, a month or two, maybe a couple months ago, and I bumped into you in the cafeteria at the college and introduced myself to you. And I think you knew a little bit about my story. And uh, I asked you as people were milling around if you'd be interested in doing a podcast with me. And you said, sure. And I gave you my card and uh, did not hear from you for about a month or six weeks. I thought, oh, you know, it, it was a good conversation. I'm glad I I, I met John. And then I get a, an email from someone saying, hey, we're ready to set this up. So um, that said a lot to me about you, your integrity, your commitment. So thank you for being willing to follow up uh, someone down here in the lowlands of of Georgia. Well, I'm not very fast, but I'm fairly steady. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I appreciate it. You got some good people that work with you up there too. For that's sure. that's quite obvious. Uh, John, let's just jump in here. Um, there's a lot of things we we can talk about, and we will touch on things that I, I think are related mostly to my burden for for people in ministry. Again, the as I shared with you before I hit record, you asked me what the purpose of this podcast was, and it's it's to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And uh, thank you for affirming that. Uh, that's encouraging. So everything we want to talk about is really to to help pastors, people in ministry, and care about people in ministry to to be encouraged and to maintain perspective. And so thank you for, for contributing to that. Tell us briefly what you do and how would you best sum up that responsibility? Very open-ended there. Well, first of all, I do want to affirm the whole intent of what you're doing here, brother, because um, ministry does have its uh, casualties and sometimes uh, that becomes a very personal story for all of us or many of us anyway. So meeting people as you are in times of crisis or after a crisis uh, or no no crisis, but just feeling the weight of ministry responsibility mm-hmm. over the course of time. This is, this is significant. And so I'm delighted to get to spend these minutes together with you and Thank you. Thank you. Affirm what you're doing. My role, I have the privilege, as you've said, of being president of the Christian Missionary Alliance. My job description, the first sentence is, the president is the spiritual leader 
and the chief executive officer of the Christian Mystery Alliance. I love the way that's written because it places spiritual leadership before executive oversight, before we are an organization to be executed. Pardon that pun. Uh, we are a people <laughs> to be led, and to be led well, we must be led spiritually. So the spiritual mm. leader and chief executive officer. That's a daunting title, but it does uh, set the trajectory for me of how I want to go about doing what I do with the Christmas Alliance. And you've been in this role for how many years now? For five years now, almost okay. to the when You must have had a, uh, an idea of what it would be like when you first started or before you started. As you look back, has it actually been what you thought it would be? Yeah, it actually has uh, because I knew the Alliance family well. So the relationships were for in many sectors, the Alliance were pre-established and yeah you really happily. build you really build on what you were you were already doing in the Christian Mission Alliance weren't you yeah and then happily I didn't have any great surprises waiting for me of any you know skeletons in a closet or anything and why it's just pretty transparent organization mm-hmm. and so what you see is what you get and I didn't have any backroom uh-ohs yeah so, good uh, that was encouraging. Well, there's a there's a collective sigh right now of everyone listening to this, knowing that there's no skeletons in the Christian Missionary Alliance closet. <laughs> what a relief. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, John, what are, as you look back over uh, your life, what are several life events, ministry? Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about your personal story. Um, this could include be included in this, but, but you, that you believe led you to where you are now. Maybe what God used as you reflect on that. How do you how do you see it? Well, one of the life-shaping events um, or causes for my being where I am today is uh, the influence of a godly family that saw ministry as a high value. And whether I really wanted to or not, I was being pushed into ministry opportunities uh, often in life. Um, But from a a very positive standpoint, our love for Jesus and our love for his name to be taken to the world. And so that was a helpful beginning. 25 years or so as an Alliance pastor was also exceedingly formative for me to be ready for a position like this. I feel the heart of of the local pastor. Uh, that's that title that I feel most comfortable with. People call me president. That's great. But when they call me pastor, I take it as a compliment. Mm. That they still see that as part of my heart. So um, the pastoral experiences from East Coast to West, from the tiniest of churches, meaning one person for our first service at a church plant that we were doing, mm. uh, to you know another some of our large one of our larger churches. So. So the breadth of that experience um, really was formative. And one more piece that I would add that a lot of people don't know about my own background is that Joanne and I thought we were going to be Alliance missionaries. We went through uh, our own uh, training, uh, got an MA in missiology, and did area study and home service and all the interviews. And through a series of circumstances, including a daughter who had a medical crisis as a child, uh, God closed that door very clearly. But to have had the missiological training and the pastoral experience um, just weaves together wonderfully right now for the role that I serve. Uh, thanks for that. That's I love your emphasis on on the passion 
and commitment to the gospel that uh, has shaped early on in your life. And as you look back, it must be encouraging to see that you are where you are uh, with the, you know, the ability to uh, expand that passion to to have great influence, but not losing that pastoral uh, relationship with people. I love that. You travel a lot, don't you? So you meet a lot of people. What, what percentage of your time is spent traveling? I concluded early that the desk was a poor place from which to lead a denomination. <laughs> And so I'm on the road more than 50% of the time. Wow, wow. Mostly in local churches, occasionally in some international setting, but uh, most of the time with an alliance congregation or district. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that'll help with some of the questions I'll have about your burden for what you see. Uh, being away from the office, too, is a great way to keep your desk from being cluttered. So I'm sure that you, you value that. Uh, John, what what burdens you the most as uh, president of a large denomination like this? Maybe that did not burden you as much when you were a local pastor. Well, I'm not quite sure how to answer that last half of what you just said, because uh, yeah, I added that to what I had sent you. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fine. My my simple answer being this is uh, continuation Mm. of my role of pastor. I just get to pastor a broader flock now. Uh, and the, what concerns me most is that there are still so many sectors in the American uh, scene that do not have a strong presence of a Bible-preaching church influencing their communities. So the need for a greater imprint of the gospel in our own culture and simultaneously that there remain so many peoples who still across the globe who do not have access to the message of Jesus and entire nations that fear the message, outlaw the Bible, and make it very difficult Mm -hmm. for missionary work to take place. So the fact that the job is still um, so large and looming before us drives me forward. Yeah, and even as the, the, the reach is, you know, expands, more people are reached, more churches are planted uh, with population growth. Is it overwhelming sometimes that, you know, how do you keep up with this? You know, you feel like you're reaching new places and then suddenly there's other places that need to be reached. How do you, how do you process that with, uh, with that sense of responsibility? Yeah, it's not just a population growth, it's a population movement as well. Yeah, yeah that's so, true. So many of our communities have changed, whether it's Tacoa, Georgia, or this isn't the same town that I moved to 20 years ago, which yeah. is a wonderful opportunity for the gospel. That's rather than worrying about the changes, let's seize the privilege of, of new expressions, a uh, new opportunity for new expression of the gospel to come to new communities that are living right among us. So this is a great day. I interviewed a guy some time ago. I haven't put his podcast out yet, but he was a missionary in Turkey for a while, had to come home for, for certain reasons, and, and was really kind of devastated that he'd been taken away from the people he was burdened for. He had learned a language and the culture. Now he's pastoring a Baptist church in Tacoa, Georgia, and one day he's sitting at the coffee shop and overhears someone speak in, in, in Turkish, if that's the language they speak, and he turns around and, and starts interacting with them, finds out there's a whole f- group of them that have moved to Tacoa, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you talk about population movement, you are so right. And uh, well, that's uh, that's God moving, isn't it? And and uh, those are moments where you don't allow the responsibility to weigh too much on you because you know God is in charge, sovereign, sovereignly moving people in His providence, and uh, we just need to do what we're asked to do. Well, isn't that part of the sustainability of ministry, Mitch? And back to your mm. broader theme of why this podcast even exists. 
Isn't it part of the sustainability of ministry, whatever our role, lay or pastor or local church or wherever, that, that we have to believe that the hand of God is actually active and involved in this world scene and that the headlines don't write the whole story, the media mm. can't, doesn't have the capacity to even know the whole story, and that there are these God stirrings that are taking place behind the scenes or within the stories. Media is going to miss it, but spiritual eyes get to see it. And if all we do is interpret uh, our ministry and culture through the lens of circumstance and, and media, we're going to be a discouraged people. But if we have the eyes to see that that there's um, a, a, a movement of God that's taking place. Uh, as he says in Acts, that uh, he has placed people in very, you know, in the place which they live, so people might reach out to him and know him, that, uh, that uh, see to be looking for the, the fingerprints of God in some of these stories. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and, you know, that word perspective that I have in my vision statement, when a pastor or a missionary has that perspective that God's in charge, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, when, when pastors lose that perspective, they, they feel the burden, and that's when they become overwhelmed, discouraged, uh, disillusioned. And if they can capture against this very thing you said, the beauty that, that God's not just in this, uh, he's in charge of it, and and we're his servants, asked to go where he goes and and to uh, preach as he leads us to. Um, it becomes a not a burden, but really a a, a, a privilege, right? Uh, um, just a great sense of responsibility. Uh, so yeah, thanks for that. That's a that's a great way to to relate that uh, that burden to us. Um, John, you you experienced um, you've spoken a lot uh, about your own season of suffering and. And there might be some other uh, resources that we can recommend at the end. I know you've written a book about this. There might even be some some talks that you've done. We can share some links. But share briefly again about that season of suffering and and what is it like for you now to look back over that? So 10 years ago, right now, I was a 47-year-old pastor in Salem, Oregon, uh, running ultra marathons, uh, races for guys too stupid to stop at 26 miles, and just kept running 50 and 60 kilometers. A uh, healthy guy, never had any reason for concern on any physical issues, enjoying life, enjoying ministry, and uh, within one week's time, uh, lost um, such muscle capacity that I couldn't drive a car would soon be hospitalized 77 mm. days in the hospital, most of them in the top research hospital in Oregon, uh, in the ICU ward. Uh, numerous times my wife was bought, brought back into the room to say her goodbyes because mm. I wasn't responding. Uh, mysterious illness, uh, never diagnosed. I was released in the hospital with a wonderful statement, you stumped us all. Mm. I have to call it the Stumbo Syndrome. I really don't yeah. have to named after me, but it was their way of saying we ran every test in this building. You flunked them all. We don't know what you have. We know what you don't have, but you're no longer dying, so you can go home now. And uh, my wife became my nurse. I mm. had to resign from my role as pastor. I was in a wheelchair, lost 50 pounds of muscle mass. I had had a tracheotomy. I had a feeding tube inserted uh, because I had completely lost the ability to swallow. Your swallow capacity is this marvelous mix of nerves and muscles on a highly bone, and God is synchronized in such a way that it's uh, effortless and flawless uh, for so much of our life, but mine had completely uh, ceased to function, so I couldn't even swallow my own saliva. I had to live spitting into spit rags, spit towels, spit cups, mm. and uh, in the feeding tube was my uh, method of staying alive, and so breakfast lunch and dinner went down the tube as did any drink of water because nothing could go down the throat, and that was 
for 18 months, not a bite of food or a drop of water. At first, we were going to beat this thing, you know, and just kind of believe in power and work our way through it. But as time went on, uh, our resilience kind of wore down, our faith grew weak. And that's when some of the rich questions of faith and the dark. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we wrestled. We struggled. Struggled with going to church. Struggled with, um, you know, various questions. But um, Now, when you say you struggled because of the physical uh, restraints, or you mean the struggle encompassed even some of the, the, the spiritual? Uh, well, physically, it was a very discouraging. Um, um, emotionally, hard to maintain uh, confidence of God in charge or God's good or, you know, people mm. were, people were telling me God's really using your story all over the place. Yeah. Well, wonderful. But <laughs> I'm, I'm paying a price here and not enjoying it. And um, where, where is God when you can't find him? Yeah. You know, the, the scripture became silent for months. I, I couldn't find God. Worship had no pleasure to it. Uh, you know, it was um, dark night of the soul. Uh, mm. No, no other way to describe it. Um, where else can we turn? You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter says at a low moment, as uh, many of the disciples have left in John chapter 6. I came to that point at a very specific moment. Lord, um, I don't Where else can I go? I, I, I can't find you, but I got no other options. So, so um, over the course of, of months, um, he began to give perspective. Mm. As to, and began to whisper his uh, reassurances to my soul. But there were months um, in that journey where I didn't know where God was, and, and that was his, his fascinating heart. Yeah, it, the, you know, your, your comment about people, you know, trying to encourage you really by saying, hey, God's really using your story. When, when my son was, uh, was dying and another son that had uh, cancer and of course my wife had brain cancer as well when when people would say things like to, that to me I would cynically say well um, I, I wish they I wish God would just let them read a good book and and be encouraged <laughs> that way you know why does it have to be my life being uh, taken through this um, so I, I mean it's really really interesting hearing you say this because it I resonate so much with it it's uh, I mean I have vestiges of that still I mean you don't those those kind of questions and and concerns and and frustrations are not as sharp once you're healthy but they're still there there's still vestiges of that aren't there uh, how is that for you what what do you what do you still struggle with well let me back up in the in the conversation if I could just for a minute Mitch uh, to say you know, when when people make comments like those they really are well-meaning and well-intended and they're trying to encourage you know and, and of course benefit the doubt but, but um, what's often happening, I think, is people are trying to help us answer the why question. Mm-hmm. Why are you in this? And so, see, here's a good outcome from this. And, and I feel like it really is a simplistic approach. It's, it's minimalizing the breadth and complexity of the work of God in our lives. Looking back, now to get to the answer to your question, um, looking back, I see that God was working on so many levels simultaneously. He was rebuilding our marriage as I was in that wheelchair and my wife was my nurse. Mm. I had been faithful to her. She had been faithful to me, but there were aspects of our marriage that needed some real work. And, and there was nothing like being confined to our living room for 18 months uh, where, you know, where, where there was some serious work done in our marriage. Um, 
and I could give you other examples. I'm just simply saying that, that God, the complexity of God's work cannot be minimized to one or two answers alone, that there were multiple mm. levels simultaneously taking place as only a master artist can do. Mm. Um, meanwhile, I was receiving comments from people, if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't have this problem in the first place, or on the other end of the spectrum, uh, God's in charge, he's sovereign, you've got an issue, accept it. Well, in between those two uh, extremes, um, there's a middle ground that I find sweetly in the scripture of permission to wrestle with God mm-hmm. and the freedom that he gives us to ask hard questions, not to accuse him of wrongdoing. No, that crosses a line of lack of faith and trust and, and, uh, and doubt as to God's character. But within that confines of Hebrews eleven six. With, um, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that God exists in this situation, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that he is by a very nature good and can be trusted. And so in within that confines, uh, there is this place to wrestle, to go to the mat with God. And so... I, I found great solace in that from the scriptures in various places that um, I, I can uh, grapple with with the, what mm. is taking place here. Where are you in this? What am I supposed to be hearing from you? And, and to not just default to the, well, you're in charge. I'll just suck it up and accept it. Mm-hmm. Or the guilt-ridden, I guess I don't have enough faith because I'm not getting healed. Uh, there's there's a there's a good zone in between. Yeah, I know that, that you, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, John. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the purposes of this podcast is also to to help people. Um, you know, I talk a lot about suffering. I talk about how we as believers can use our suffering or even the suffering of others as a as an opportunity to talk about the the suffering of Christ and and the gospel uh, because it's in suffering that we have a great platform, but also an open door. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that, you know, I'll share just personally here without make, making this too much about me, people hear me all the time. They're, they're hearing you one time. Um, but when, when I went through the hardest time with my son, uh, Travis, um, as I look back now, one of the most amazing things that happened is my sense of awe and reverence in God increased. He became more mysterious to me. And, uh, and so it was, uh, I, I had less questions answered. I, I was able to live more with the questions and be comfortable with them. Um, you, you wrote, you wrote a lot about this, right? I mean, your book, uh, was it the dark night of the soul? Is that the book that you wrote? If I recall? Two answers to your question. One is after the fact, uh, looking back on the story and how there was a sweet partial healing moment uh, that turned a corner for us um, and then some of the ongoing uh, questions that we wrestle with. That book is called An Honest Look at a Mysterious Journey. Okay. So in its third printing, God's used it in a lot of ways, but it reads like a story and it's uh, looking back a storytelling with uh, the reason for the title, An Honest Look at a Mysterious Journey, with these wrestlings of faith Mm -hmm. that uh, I included. The second book was never intended to be a book. During this whole crisis, I was uh, doing some writing, some of it public 
for a blog, some of it private just for my own soul. And after uh, some time, I felt like, no, that needs to be in print. And so it reads very raw, kind of like devotionals, brief essays. But it's raw because I don't know if I'll ever walk again, eat again, preach again, lead again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm in the midst of the crisis, and that's the title, In the Midst. So those are the two books. One's a story and one is kind of a book of essays. Okay. Well, I'll make those available on our website and uh, give a link to to that. Um, Thank you, John, for sharing that. I want to shift a little bit and maybe one of these questions you can come back to to this topic of, uh, if I'll go to that question now, uh, maybe we can not jump too too extreme here. Um, When you travel, what is your main message? Well, I'm in so many different settings, Mitch, it's hard to answer mm-hmm. that. You know, just in the last three months, I've spoken from uh, Korea to Thailand to Wisconsin, Minnesota, Massachusetts, uh, et cetera, et cetera, here in the States. So, uh, and in context that vary from a strong, uh, you know, church that is very mission-minded uh, to um, men's retreats or a gathering of mission leaders or, you know, on the list goes. So, So um, it's a complex world in which Mm -hmm. I live, and so therefore the messaging is nuanced. But to answer your question, one of the themes that often emerges is that opposition is often an opportunity for the gospel to advance. Opposition is often an opportunity for the gospel to advance. Persecution provide a pathway for the message to go out in the early church. Jesus has said to them very clearly in Acts 1.8, I'm going to give you the power. My Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're to be my witnesses. And that witness is to go to every segment of human society. Start right where you are, Jerusalem. Make sure you include your surrounding area, Judea. There's people who live close to you who are not like you. That's Samaria. And all the way to the ends of the earth. There's no ors in that. They're all ands. Mm. And that's our, <laughs> that's our command. And it was also a strategy of our Lord. Some would also argue it was a prophecy of our Lord that this is the way that the church was going to be built. Hmm. Interestingly for me, it was also an outline for the, uh, for the author Luke as he writes the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he follows that Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth outline. And as you read closely, you find out that you have to get all the way to Acts 8.1 for Acts 1.8 to begin to be fulfilled. In other words, they spend the first seven chapters right there in Jerusalem. They don't get out of town. I can't blame them. I wouldn't have left either. So many <laughs> cool things were happening in that early church there in Jerusalem, miracles and prison breaks and people falling dead. It was an amazing time. But Jesus had been very clear that they were to take the gospel beyond. And what happens in Acts 8-1 is a persecution breaks out. And there Luke clearly states that they flee to Judea and Samaria, taking the message with them. And you got to get to chapter 11 before you start to get to the beginnings of the ends of the earth. So the message that's woven within that in Luke's writings is that opposition became the opportunity for the gospel to advance right there in the early church. And so it is for us today, why I said earlier that the headlines don't tell the whole story, that there's often an opportunity for the gospel right in the midst of some of these crises that are awful. I'm not belittling how bad the event or occurrence or headline is, but I'm saying that in the midst of that crisis, there are sweet opportunities for the gospel to be spoken and lived. 
uh, declared and demonstrated. Yeah, and in, in the in the states, the the United States, we see that being a Christian is not as easy as it was before. Doing church, being church, is not as easy as it was before. A lot of changes in culture. What uh, what are you seeing shifting? What are you seeing uh, that's that's challenging the Christian Missionary Alliance in our culture today? As the net seems to be tightening, you know, freedom is being redefined. The whole tolerance message in society uh, seems to be. I've heard I heard someone talk yesterday in a podcast that that. They sense that the real target here uh, with our PC culture and trying to, you know, bring equality to everything is really to isolate the church, isolate the Christian. How, how are you viewing that? And how is the CMA adjusting to that, maybe even globally, uh, but mainly here in the States? Well, I'm stating the obvious that the church, the evangelical church, the Bible preaching church has been pushed to the margins. We're no longer mainstream in our culture. And I would argue that's okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's where we've spent most of uh, church history. And we sometimes have had our best influence, and not from the center stage, but uh, from the sidelines. And so um, I'm, I'm not as disturbed by that. Yes, it's sad to see some of the trajectory of American culture and world culture. But I come at the scriptures from the vantage point of saying, expect the world to live like the world, to holy living, he says in Corinthians, not at all meaning people of the world, when he's referring to, you know, how we're to conduct ourselves. And so, so I, I expect the world to act very worldly, and uh, that, that doesn't surprise me when they do. I, happily, uh, within recent years, while some of the uh, uh, tolerance message has been legitimized by the courts simultaneously, the happy part is that some religious freedoms have been re, have been uh, strengthened within our own American court system, and so uh, we, we've got a lot of protections as the church. And I don't live in fear and hang hand, hand ring about it. We need to be innocent as doves and shrewd as snakes, uh, operating with a dove-like innocence, uh, trusting and accepting and embracing, while being eyes wide open, street wise aware shrewd snake-like that fascinating combination that only jesus can put in the heart so so i'm not naive but at the same time i'm, I'm not distressed because there is a great opportunity uh, for our message to be distinct if we speak in love we can still speak the message of truth but we have to do better as a church generally in America and specifically as a Christmas Airlines, in keeping the grace and truth balance. Instead of Jesus and John 1, that he was full of grace and truth. And so it must be for us, this, this winsomeness, this grace, this love that we truly define what love is to a culture and community, but that it's never in a compromise of the truth that God has given to yeah. us. Yeah. And we get to walk both as Jesus did. And so speaking our message and demonstrating our message in such a way that, that reveals that at the very heart of the gospel is a message of love for God so loved this world, this crazy messed up world. Hmm. And so must we. And so uh, this is a great opportunity for us to live. Yeah, now. it is. It is. And you probably have answered this, but maybe be a little more succinct. And uh, as you, you know, leading a denomination, 
uh, your burden for the church and in our country. What what encourages you? What burdens you as you as you look not just at our denomination but the church as a whole in in the U.S. Well, the temptation to compromise has perhaps mm-hmm. never been stronger. The temptation yeah. to water down our message to sound like daytime talk radio. God spare us, God help us, but that temptation is strong. And and to uh, rather than pursuing a message of of truth and love, we want to just be liked. And um, it's vital for us not to lose our commitment to the gospel and our commitment to live under the authority of God's word not only for the sake of the U.S. church, not only for the sake of the arising generation that is looking for something more solid than governments and social media and Hollywood can give them. They're looking for something more substantive, and the church must be the place where they find that. It's not only significant for our nation and for our youth, it's also significant for other nations that national church leaders from places like in the Middle East have said to me, you may not realize how vitally important it is that the evangelical church in the United States of America stay strong because our viability is largely dependent upon your strength. What they were saying was not, we just get some encouragement because you guys are holding steady. No, no, they were saying our fundamental capacity to exist in some of the nations in which we live is largely related to the fact that the evangelical church and the strongest nation in the world is, is still staying faithful to God's word. So if you can do it in America, it gives us greater capacity. Wow, wow. That's really interesting. Um, why do you think they say that? I mean, what are, what, are they, what are they looking to us for? Well, they know that if we would buckle as the American church, um, that um, their, their viability in their country would mm. be greatly uh, threatened because their own government would have less reason to allow their existence. Hmm. Do you, do you feel related to that? Do you feel, I mean, it's, that's an interesting point. Um, do you feel that interest in global missions is diminishing in the church? In the U.S. church? Yes. Uh, in many churches, yes. And, you know, there are that uh, there's always more needs among us than we can possibly meet. And, and it's, we've reached some of the Forgive me for I say this, but some of the easier locations, easier in proximity and in language learning. But the places that still need to be reached with the gospel are some of the most difficult in terms of religious and political opposition and linguistic <laughs> complexities. So this is um, it, it's 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 hard. There's no question about it, and hence um, a lot of churches lose heart or. Um, choose to define missions as just anything that takes place in some country other than our own. And uh, we would argue in the Alliance that while that may be, you know, good work to do to go where the gospel is already well established and assist that existing church, that's, that, that there, there may be uh, mm. some place for the U.S. to do that. So often it's more uh, feel good <laughs> on our yeah. part that we feel good about getting to help somebody who doesn't have quite as much money or we do or something like that. But the real cutting edge, the tip of the spear of missions always has to be, as Paul would have said to us, to take the gospel where it has not yet been taken. Mm -hmm. And that's where the Christmas Alliance must continue to say, 
celebrate that the church in Peru is a mission-sending church, and we bless you, and we'll work alongside you as you send a missionary now to one of the, you know, places that still do not have gospel access. Mm. Mm. Working together with national churches is is a is, is the new place of missions. John, you've uh, we've we've covered a lot here. Your story, your burden, uh, your your vision, your view of things. Um, any any final thoughts? Maybe uh, a word that you would want to to say to uh, to a pastor or someone who's in ministry who maybe feels like they have lost perspective and they don't have courage. What, what would you say to them right now to encourage them as we wrap up? Well, Mitch, this has been kind of an odd mix of, uh, in this uh, podcast, and I'll just confess by what I said, an odd mix of the wrestling of the soul in times of crisis and my current responsibility of kind of seeing some big Yeah, I wanted to get everything I could out of you in this one 45 minutes. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. I'm, that's not a complaint. It's an observation. But my point is, is simply this, that when we are deep in the midst of a, a crisis or a dark night of the soul, it is very difficult to lift our head to the horizons and see a world mm. that's still needs Jesus, or even a neighborhood that still needs Jesus. It is, it can be a strategy of the enemy to get us so discouraged that our chins uh, and eyes can't lift above the table right in front of us. But um, I don't want to guilt anybody in that because guess what? Mm. At that table, there is provision for you. Psalm Mm. 23, verse 5 a table prepared prepared for you in the presence of your enemies. And so if you can't lift your head any higher today uh, than the table in front of you to see the the vast harvest of the horizon uh, for today, that's okay. Because at the table, there is the provision for you. And you know that your soul is starting to uh, be strengthened again when you can start to look out and around and say, the field is white into harvest and that harvest has come to my neighborhood and what's my part in, in doing that and how can my story of pain and questioning actually become part of my story mm. or how the world gets to hear the gospel of Jesus. That in the end, in time, they really do work together the dark night of our own souls and the enlarging of capacity for us to be a gospel minister. Grieve well and your soul will enlarge. I love it. I love it. So there's wow. a greater capacity yeah. for ministry later. Yeah, that's wonderful. John, great way to end. And thank you again for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, uh, to talk with me. I know a lot of people will be encouraged with this. So thank you so much. Fun to get to know you better this way, Mitch. Thank you, John. Likewise. Well, there you have it. What a story. Uh, Thank you again for listening to this. And if you have any comments or questions about anything that we've talked about today in this interview with Dr. John Stumbo, uh, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. Love to hear from you. Uh, about this podcast or any other podcast that you've heard. You can go to our website, www.beforeyouquit.us, 
and listen to up to 31 podcasts that I've done now and many, many blogs written on uh, all sorts of different subjects regarding the challenges and privileges of ministry. So until next week, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. 